It's good to see you all. Welcome. We are in the middle of our Recreate series as we continue to think on the ways in which our world has been made and remade over and again um, in the last couple of years, in the last few months, um, and even as we kind of think about what is to come again. How do we continue to follow Jesus in the midst of all of this? There's this beautiful story <clears throat> that... Um, David, in the front of David Flusser's book on Jesus, who is an Orthodox Jew in Israel who studied the synoptic gospels in their cultural context, so Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And a um, colleague, uh, acquaintance of ours, was working with him on a book. His name's Stephen Notley, Dr. Notley. And he shows up to Dr. Flusser and he says, it's right in the middle of Desert Storm and uh, kids are having to take gas masks to school and there was so much fear and um, concern and uncertainty in the world. And um, Dr. Notley shows up to Dr. Flusser's door and Dr. Flusser throws the door open and he says, well, these are very interesting times we're living in. Let's see what Jesus has to say about them. I love that story. I feel like every time things are a bit uncertain, it's a new invitation again to ask again, what does Jesus say to me now in this moment? How do I understand Jesus's words in this world, in this reality, in the world that we're in, in the context that I'm in, um, in the roles that we live in? And as everything grows in beautiful ways, in challenging ways, as things shift and move, we can continue to ask that question every single day. Well, these are very interesting times. I wonder what Jesus has to say about them. So as Pastor Mark mentioned earlier, we are kind of considering and reconsidering as we launch into this fall season together and celebrate nine years. We've been thinking about how we embrace the value of creation and recreation in the visiting of our five core values at Spark, which are love in the very center and reconciliation, which Kevin preached on, and reputation, which Pastor Mark preached on and then rescue and resurrection. And as we've thought about those, I think a few weeks ago when I was talking about and introducing this series, we were talking about love, but we were also talking about how the creation, the book of Genesis exists, the creation story exists, not to tell us only that it happened, but to invite us an understanding that it is happening again. That the process of creation is a process that the creator is always involved in. And the process of recreation and re-understanding all of that is the process that the creator is involved in. But also the process that the creator invites us into too. Into as well. So this morning, this morning, look how many years I was pastor in the mornings. This afternoon, it's been nice for the last nine years not to have to get up so early. Um, that we are going to be talking about our core value of rescue. Now, at Spark, when we think of rescue, um, we can go on the website at the starter pack that uh, Mark was just mentioning as well, and you can read also in just our core values all of the ways in which we kind of think about rescue, the verses that are involved, how we consider that. What I'd like to just draw our attention to is that rescue isn't just a nice value that we think about when we go like, let's do good works, or let's try to figure out how to bring and do more good in the world. But rescue is a value that we see here at Spark at the very beginning of our story. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to remind you in case you weren't here or you just want the refresher, and I need refreshing, refreshing constantly as well. At the beginning of our Genesis narrative, right at the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the entire earth was tohu vavohu, full of formless, void, confusion, wasteland, chaos. And there was tahom, there was a depth, a deep, an abyss, and there was 
darkness over the surface of the earth. And we talked about how God hovers over that darkness, over that chaos, in the midst of all of it. God pulls out then light. And then God looks continually in that process. There's like rescue right there then at the very beginning, right? We see God looking at the darkness, calling forth light and bringing us out of darkness into light, a bit of a rescue. And then as the creation story moves on and God creates the first Adam, the first human being, God sees the Adam. And the first time in our text, it says something is not good, that it is low tov. If you uh, read the Hebrew, it goes this way, that it is not good for the Adam to be alone. The first thing called not good is loneliness, a loneliness in that human being. And so God creates an Ezer Konegdo, a help that is equal to and adequate for opposite facing in every respect. And so rescue is brought right in again, right in just the next few verses of our creation story. We see that darkness and chaos is there and God starts to call out light and order. And then we see that loneliness shows up and God calls into existence companionship so that there's no loneliness anymore. And when I think about rescue in my own life, I think about how God has done those things for me. How there have been times where I felt lonely and one of you, another fellow follower of Jesus has come alongside and pulled me out of that loneliness as Christ has called us into these moments together. Or there's been chaos and darkness and one of us, we've come together and we've said, let's, let's try to pay attention to the breath of God, the hovering of God over that chaos and darkness and let's look for the ways in which God's calling light and order into that mess. We see rescue right away in our Exodus story. So Genesis and then Exodus, our second book in the Bible. I love this story. And this is really the primary place where we are pulling out a experience or an understanding of following a God of rescue. So when Kevin and I sat on that rooftop in Puerto Vallarta so many years ago and started thinking about these core values and then discussing these core values with that team 10 years ago, um, preparing for the nine years ago when we launched, this is the story that really shapes rescue for us here at Spark. This is from Exodus chapter two, right at the very beginning of the story. It says that after a long time, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. What impresses me most about this story is that the Israelites don't yet have that beautiful experience that Moses is going to have in the next chapter of three, where Moses gets revealed the name of God. The people here don't cry out to God. They just cry out. And God hears that cry. God cares deeply for that cry. Whether or not that person is crying out the right words in the right way. Has anybody ever been part of a prayer experience where somebody tried to explain to you like, well, the reason why you didn't get healed or whatever is because you didn't say in the name of this or the way of this. This verse stands just says all of that mess. God cares about you and he cares about the cry of your heart. This word that's used in the Hebrew, za'aka, is a cry out. It's one of the most powerful words in the Hebrew language and it's pervaded by moral outrage and soul-stirring passion and it denotes the anguished cry of the oppressed and the agonized plea of the helpless victim. That The reason why I kind of can walk around in the world still believing even in the midst of chaos and darkness 
believing in a God of hope and a God of rescue and a God of love is because of this story. Because God hears the cry and God does not care that they have their theology right. God doesn't care if they've called out the right name. God doesn't care if they're this faith or that faith. God simply cares about the cry. God cares when human beings are suffering. Years ago, I heard Gary Haugen, the head of IJM, International Justice Mission, who was talking about the ways in which they were working on trying to manage the problem of human traffic in the world and and in all of these different ways, um, these stories that he tells can be quite heartbreaking. He told the story of a girl who had been taken into a human trafficking situation, and upon going into that room, she wrote a psalm on the wall, and she said, God, you're going to rescue me out of this situation within 12 months. And she prayed and cried out to the Lord. And IJM showed up. 11 months later and rescued her out in that story. It does not happen for everyone, but it happened for her. And the thing that gives me hope is at least the knowledge that God heard her cry. And it's because of this story that I know that God hears the cries. In fact, when you read that portion of passage, just right there in Exodus chapter two, it says there's four verbs that give voice to Israel's suffering here, that they're groaning. They cry out, they cry for help and they're moaning. And then God, in response to that, does four things. God hears, God remembers, God looks upon, God takes notice. And the word for remember in Hebrew does not have the connotation of like, oh, yeah, there's those people down there. I'd totally forgotten about them. It's to think upon and to act, to take an action. God hears those cries and God acts upon them. The reason why we have rescue as a core value here at Spark is because we truly believe in a God whose very character is defined by love in action, is defined and demonstrated in rescue, in redemption, and in freedom. This is the mission that God has been on since the creation of the world. In her book, Epic of Eden, Sandra Richter talks about this. She lays out this massive rescue and redemption plan in consistent steps that she sees throughout the text. And she starts, of course, we have the Garden of Eden, and we have the fall, and then we have the Adam, and then we have Noah, which is a rescue story and a recreation story. And then we have Abraham and Moses, Moses and David, and then Jesus, and then ultimately the new heaven and the new earth, these progressive incremental stages of restoration, this belief in a God who provides rescue and continues to provide it until ultimately we will see the new kingdom crashing down here on earth. This is our hope, isn't it? And it's the hope that gives rise and voice throughout all of our text. One of our favorite passages that we read almost every Christmas, or as we read about it, as we talk about our Jesus story, and Pastor Omer preached on this passage some time ago, particularly trying to understand, talking about Isaiah specifically, wonderfully, go find the message, talking about how not every single message here has to do with Jesus, but this sure does sound like both Israel's vocation as well as the calling of the Messiah, our messianic hope. In Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah says, Here is my servant whom I am uphold, he, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The expectation is that this servant will come and bring justice, bring rescue. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Our messianic hope is baked into this rescue 
value, this rescue belief that there is more than what we can see in front of us and that the rescue is here, it's at hand, it is coming, it is promised. And that we have a God who hears our cries, who hears the cries of those who are oppressed, who hears the cries of those who are suffering, listens and acts. But it is also the hope that we have. Our messianic hope is built on this. Isaiah continues and says, he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. I love that line because when you go with us someday and you walk in the land, the coastlands of this land between of Israel were always known as the land of the Philistines, as the land of the sea peoples, as the land where Israel never quite took hold of that area. And here it says that the coastlands are awaiting this teaching. They're hungry for this messianic hope too. It is not just a promise for those of us who follow, for those of us who know the name. It is also a promise for all of the nations on the earth. Thus says the Lord, God, the Lord, who spread, created the heavens and stretched them out and spread out the earth and what comes upon it, comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. And here's this great good news of rescue, isn't it? To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And here's this new creation, this recreation again. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The people who first heard these words of Isaiah, not even anticipating a messianic hope, had hope in them. Had hope in the work that God was doing in the time of Isaiah. Even as they were experiencing turmoil and exile and uncertainty, they knew that they believed and followed a God who cared and was about rescue. And not just rescue of one people, but rescue of the whole world. And real rescue, tangible rescue, blind people seeing, people imprisoned being set free, people who are in darkness finding light, justice to come. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we see all of this coming to pass in the person of Christ as Christ comes. John says it so well, doesn't he, in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You know, the famous verses that everyone holds up at all the sporting events, right? But it is certainly good news, isn't it? And it's not just news of I get a golden ticket so that I can get into heaven. It is news of a rescue for God so loved the world that God gave God's only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Rescue baked in for the whole world. As Kevin was talking about not that long ago, right? It's not about me, although we're involved, aren't we? But it's for all. This is a God who just, again, built into our narrative on every page. We see this pursuit because God so loves, God rescues, God redeems, God calls us. And Jesus himself says in John eight thirty six, if the son has set you free, then you are free indeed. You've been set free. And I think for many of us at Spark, we maybe at some point had a story where we felt very set free. 
We walked down an aisle. We were set free from addiction. We were set free from shame, from loneliness, from selfishness. And maybe because of things going on in our culture, in our world, because of our own journey, because of our own deconstruction, maybe we've kind of lost the connection to the individual ways in which Jesus has set us free. And I hope in part that as we love and rejoice in the beautiful collective rescue that God has planned for the whole world, and we do recognize that Jesus didn't die for only me and my sins, that we also still don't walk ourselves out of the story, and we still can think of a time and reflect on a time when we were set free where we were invited to become a new creation in Christ, where the old had gone and the new had come, and where we walked down to the water and we submerged because there was new life to be found as we were brought back out of those waters again. There is hope here that Jesus provides rescue for the world and for us, that there's new life to be found. Romans chapter 8 Verses 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free. But not just only for ourselves. It's not just freedom from sin and death and shame and loneliness and isolation and all of the oppression of the world. It is also freedom for a purpose, isn't it? We get to do something with the rescue we've experienced. And this is core and central to this rescue value here at Spark. We don't just sit here and go, wow, I'm so glad I'm rescued. And I'm so glad that someday the world will be rescued and set to right. Those things are beautiful and wonderful, but it can't stay here. In fact, when the Israelites were rescued, it wasn't just freedom from Egypt. It was freedom for a purpose. God didn't just bring them out of exile and bring them out of oppression and go, okay, good job. Then go just leave your life. It was freedom for the purpose of becoming that holy nation, that kingdom of priests, the light to the nations, the light to the Gentiles, bringing justice into the world. So that when a few chapters later, God says, by the way, if I hear the foreigner or the stranger or the widow or the orphan cry out because of your oppression of them, then I will act on their behalf and you don't want to be on the other side of that. We are to be agents of the rescue, not impeding God's rescue and justice in this world. At the end of our story in Revelation, the letter of the revelator right at the very beginning starts with, to him, who, who is this Jesus? He loves us and frees us. To him who loves us and frees us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom of priests, serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is the character of our God, expressed fully in the redemptive death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And as we follow Christ in that discipleship, then of course we see all of Christ's commands to bring rescue into the world. We see the ways in which we will continue to live out Matthew 25. It's very simple, isn't it? You see a hungry person, we feed them. Somebody who's thirsty, we give them something to drink. Naked clothing. Imprisoned, we go and visit. Sick, we go and visit. We care for the least of these, because in doing so, we follow our Savior, we continue to become agents of God's rescue in this world, but we also do it unto our Savior. 
And we are the ones who in that process get rescued again and again and again. That rescue is found very clearly in James, Yaakov, Jesus' brother, who writes this fantastic letter. And there he says in James chapter 1, religion that is pure and undefiled, faultless before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's not optional as to whether or not we participate in the rescue of the world. It is our calling our vocational calling and our invitation, and truly it is where life is found. If we've been set free, if we've found rescue, then we get to now participate in extending that rescue to others. Now, if you go to the Spark website, you get to see that we have a page called Gospel Justice. Uh, Years ago, as we were talking about all these values and talking about ways in which we wanted to see rescue lived out in our world, we recognized that for some people, the word social justice had become complicated. We sounded political somehow. We're like, but the problem is when we care about people, these things are core and central to the gospel. We don't get a pass on Matthew 25. We have to do these things. And it's not just Matthew. It's like, as I mentioned, Genesis through Revelation. These things are core and central to the gospel because certainly the gospel is not good news, is it? If we just look at somebody and say, oh, you're hungry. Good luck with that and continue to go on our way. That is not good news. The rescue and redemption of our own self through Christ is extended then into the world. So when you go on our gospel justice page, you'll see some ways in which we've started to try to live this out. Um, You'll see that we've been focusing on refugees and the migratory crisis that we're working on trying to address systems of systemic injustice and we're working towards racial justice in our world, that we try to have multi-faith conversation where there's been harm done, where there is Islamophobia in the world, anti-Semitism in the world, where the church has participated in those things. We try to listen and learn and understand and do better. Where our brothers and sisters who are LGBTQ plus have been harmed so deeply by the church that we welcome in And we say, we stand with you and you are deeply loved, deeply loved and welcomed and fully accepted in our community. And with creation care that we look at the thing as we last just yesterday had the four year anniversary of the fire that ravaged my hometown and did again one year ago in Santa Rosa. We recognize that the consequences of our sin and our lack of care for this beautiful garden that God has given us is leading it into a desert And that these climate concerns are impacting most of all those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed. And that it is our job as those who've been given this beautiful creation and this task as gardeners here to bring rescue and redemption into this world. And as we look at those things, we don't just show up and we go, okay, there's a thirsty person. We're going to give them something to drink. But we've also tried to ask the question, and this is a quote that is attributed to Bishop Desmond Tutu, but you know, how those things go. So we think he said it, but I couldn't find the exact thing, but all the memes point to him, just so you know, okay? But whether or not he actually said it originally, he's been quoted as saying it subsequently, so let's look. There comes a point when we need to stop just pulling people out of the river and we need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And that's part of our rescue plan here at Spark 2. That's why when you go on that gospel justice page and you click on any one of those things, do you know what you see? a whole bunch of homework, things to read, things to study, questions to ask, conversations to be had. 
where we're wrestling with what does this look like? Because we know so much that often our desire to help first hurts. We're aware of that problem too. Years ago when the Syrian refugee crisis was at its peak and there were bodies being washed up on the shores in Greece, two of our amazing sparkers, Lauren Chan and Stacey Ishigaki Arevalo, went to Greece and went to Lesvos for Spark because we wanted to find a way to respond and we wanted to jump in there. And after serving and looking and meeting with people and coming back home, and you can listen to their report, they came back and they said, we shouldn't go. As much as we all wanted to jump in and we wanted to help, we recognized that going and doing that was going to cause more harm than good. Here are the ways we can give financially. This is the way we can help. So we've tried to study. We've tried to understand what those crises are, how they've started, what have been the problems, what are the reasons why we're stuck in the systems of injustice that we're in, and how can we start to understand and do better. So to that end, for our refugee crisis that's been on our southern border, that's been on borders far away, we've had some incredible sparkers in the last several years show up on the corners and beg for kids to be let out of cages. We've had unlikely protesters, Pastor Kevin and Darren, (laughs) go to Texas with Julie Lithcott-Hames and say, this is not okay. We found all these different ways to try to love families. Christine Oktar has been my partner in crime and with so many of us now here in the room of leading refugee efforts as people that I've called and said, hey, do you think you have a spare bedroom, Jason Primeth, and could a family that just showed up from Afghanistan come and stay with you for I don't know how long? And those stories of rescue being woven into our community, I'll tell you right now, they've rescued us. They've blessed us, and we have been rescued from selfishness, from despair, from hopelessness. And we've been brought more into the image of God as we've moved into those rescue places. And, and for just a little smidgen of this story, I'd like to invite up two of my sisters who've been helping with some of this rescue effort, Patty Schmidt and Amy Fritz. And I want to invite you guys up to tell a little bit of your story on how you've been living out this value of rescue here at Spark. So welcome, Patty and Amy. So, gosh, Danielle talked about so many really good things. <laughs> what I'm going to say is just a little bit, and Amy's going to say a bigger bit. But I, um, I just have to kind of admit that when I first came here, rescue was like the, the smallest of the values that I was understanding. It was just kind of a literal word for me, and I, I really didn't quite get it until I started to First, I listened to Ryan Eller when he came for Define America, and then Warren Binford came, and this was when everything was happening, happening at our border, and it, you know, I felt kind of frozen that there wasn't much to do. I was learning a lot. That was valuable, but it, still it seemed like I wasn't doing anything. So then I joined a committee that was a joint committee with ETS and with Spark, and I learned more, but that was still just head knowledge. And... Um, then when March, in March, when um, ALAS and Bay Area Border Relief brought some families from Peru, Venezuela, Honduras, El Salvador, I knew that I had to kind of get my hands dirty and, and help. Um, and if I really did believe that uh, rescue was one of the core values, I couldn't just keep learning things, taking a lot of notes. I needed to be able to do something. 
and um, kind of be the hands and feet of Jesus. So speaking Spanish was a big plus, but it really wasn't necessary because I watched Christine, I watched Amy, I watched Wendy from Etz. You just work with Google Translate. They really do a great job. But um, my Spanish allowed me to really get to know their stories, and it came out. You know, We didn't ask them directly, but over time they would tell us exactly what they had been through. Um, and they feel safe here, but the struggle's not over. You know, they're still um, trying to find jobs because they don't have social, sec social security numbers yet. They're still waiting for their asylum hearing. So they're still kind of in this little limbo stage. And so everything that we do is a little bit more of rescue, but they're still not really to the other side yet. Um, I've never used WhatsApp more than with this group of people. They're always, um, there's texts that go back and forth. I need a big pot because we don't have a big pot to make soup. You know, they love soup, but if you just have little pots, what are you going to do? Or I need a new griddle. Can, can you get one for me? You know, I think Amy got the griddle. Um, the messages that they send, there's a, a family that was here uh, from Venezuela, and they've since moved to Virginia. But um, Edgar still sends texts once a month, on the first of the month always, you know, happy March, happy April. And he, when he left, he said, you know, uh, when we came here, we knew that this was going to be our family. We've left our family, and now this is going to be our American family. Um, let's see. Uh, when they needed help um, for middle school orientation, I spent a Saturday translating at the school and and then we had to find uniform clothes for the kids to go to school and for all of you who are parents you know that if you're buying uniform colored clothes you buy them in June you don't buy them the weekend before school starts so there were no clothes to be had and so all of those things are really really tiny but they're really big for them um, and each time I was able to do something it was personally rewarding I really kind of felt that um, I was being the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, when I'm with them, it kind of reminds me that we all have our Egypts, and they all look different. You know, for them, it, it really was a physical move from one place to another. But for us, we have Egypts at different times in our lives, and we really need to have rescue, and that can come from any one of us at any time. Uh, one of the ladies, Luce, said to me, uh, we were shopping at the uh, Latino market, and she said, Senora Patti, I never thought I would be in a position like this where I had to have other people give me food. And I told her, you know what, it's, it's God's grace that allows us to do it, and someday you'll be on the other side. You'll be providing food to another family that really needed rescue. So all of it now has become, you know, so much more a part of me. And it's kind of like what Kevin said a couple of weeks ago. It's about um, learning how to live the way of Jesus. And so rescue's kind of really broadened a lot more than I ever expected once I took it from head knowledge into the hands and feet knowledge. So Amy's going to tell a lot more of her story. Well, good afternoon, Spark. This is, um, so I first became involved um, with a family from Afghanistan about a year ago. A neighbor of mine was moving into assisted living, and they had an entire household of stuff 
um, that I figured would be of use to some people. So I connected with Christine, who put me in touch with a couple of our families. And one of them, in particular, um, a gentleman and his wife and two kids have become good friends um, down. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, they are a very Muslim family. I've learned a lot about the, the Muslim faith. We talk about God a lot. We, we worship the same God. Um, and, you know, I feel it's, it's good for them as, as America has been so, uh, anti-Muslim that I, I feel like I'm providing them a Christian friend that accepts them just for who they are. Uh, so that's, that's my, my Muslim family. Uh, in terms of the more recent refugee, as I've been working primarily with a family out in Half Moon Bay. Uh, and many of you have helped me with the family in Half Moon Bay with getting uh, recreational equipment for the kids. We, our initial charter was groceries, but you find that there's a lot of other needs uh, that they have in terms of setting up a household and just having, you know, a functional, happy family. Uh, so, um, you know, and I, I think another thing that's really important in terms of encouraging other people to get involved, you have a lot of knowledge just by the fact that you are an American and you live here. You can be a hero to them. Uh, so, you know, one day I took the mother to CVS to, to get some things that they needed. And we went through the self-checkout and, you know, I very quickly put my credit card, you know, scanned my credit card. She looked at me and she said, well, when I get my debit card, can I do that? <laughs> so, you know, just teaching people just the very basics of, of things that you know. Um, I guess an, another thing I wanted to say, as much as this is about rescue, for me, it was, it's been very much about the reputation of God. Uh, it, it pains me to see the, you know, in our, our world how down we are on refugees and um, asylum seekers, how unwelcoming uh, we have been, and I feel like this is how I can do my little part. Uh, and, you know, just thinking about, you know, what impact have we had? Maybe we haven't impacted a lot of people, but there's a Muslim family that knows there's a Christian woman that thinks they're great. Um, the family in Half Moon Bay they're a very Christian family, and he wrote me a note recently, and, and he, he understands that the support is coming from Spark. And, and his note was, we will, uh, you know, he appreciates the help, but he appreciates even more who we are and that we will always be brothers in Christ. Um, and then, you know, one, one other story that's not mine, but, but is Winnie and Ray's, you know, an, a family that they've been taking care of, uh, a huge family up in South San Francisco, recently wrote to them about how um, grateful they were that, that they never would have been able to, to make it without having, having Winnie and Ray's help along the road. And, and she said, you know, I want to find a church, 
where I can take my kids to learn this path. So, you know, I just see that we're rescuing, we're rescuing people from, from all faiths um, and, and all, um, all areas of the world. And I, I feel really honored that I've had a small piece uh, in that. So. Thank you so much, both of you, and for all of you who are in many ways, big and small, um, finding ways to be rescue for one another, a welcoming smile, an, a conversation, visiting and, and showing prayer when somebody is sick. Um, and if you want to join in any of these other efforts, we would love to have you join us. Um, or if there's one that's deeply on your heart, um, find somebody. Talk to Debbie in the back who's always finding a way to help someone. And I know all of you are participating in all these different ways. We do this because ultimately love rescued me, right? Love rescued you. Love rescued us. That's why we do these things. As Amy said, it's not just only one value that's expressed here, is it? It's not like, well, we're just doing the rescue right now. Of course, reputation and reconciliation and love are all wrapped in. And even resurrection and the belief that we are invited into new life. All of that is there. So as you go through this week, my hope and my prayer is that we would all think about a time when we were rescued. A time when Christ really rescued us, when you had set, we were set free and delivered from addiction, from loneliness, from hopelessness, from isolation. When you've been set free and delivered, when did love rescue you? When did Jesus rescue you? When were you and I delivered? And I'd like to have you think about a time when you've been able to extend that rescue to others. Now, many times this can feel very daunting, but one of my favorite quotes from Perkei Avot, Sayings of the Father, says this. It's not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting the world, but you are not free to desist from it either. We don't have to do all the work. We can do the little things. And it's okay. There will always be more to do. It's not our responsibility to do everything, but it is our responsibility to do something. So in my house recently, we've started asking the question, when we see something wrong and heartbreaking in the world, when we see something that's just angering, the injustice of it, it's just wrong, we stop together, me and my daughter, we ask this question. We were right, this is wrong. Something's broken here. But what can we do right now to bring some love and light to this situation? That's our job. Spark, I'm grateful for the ways in which you have been the love and the light of Jesus in our community for the last nine years. I'm humbled and grateful to be your pastor. And I'm thankful for the light that you shine for me and for others in this world. Keep shining bright, Spark. Let's continue to recreate and let's Remember that as we do so, we are invited, radical welcome to the table. Everyone can come. This is not our table. This is not our body. This is not our blood. Jesus invites all and welcomes all. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. What a rescue. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table.